0: First and Moose Week eleven reaction pod, Connor Taylor, Mark Schoenster. It was a really fun week. And obviously our two teams faced off this week. Yeah. It was, it turned out to be a a weird game, but it, it was a good game. It was it was a really good game. Mm-hmm. Before we jump into the games, and obviously we'll we'll spend Some time on that Colts Packers game, but I wanted to talk about win probability, and I I feel like I'm starting to get annoyed by it because I think it's somewhat cool to see like put a percentage to how likely a team will win, but it really doesn't tell me anything. Is my thing. I mean, I don't I don't learn anything when they bring up win probability like late in the game, but they are like this team has 80 percent chance of winning right now because. I mean, generally, I know that teams has a better chance of winning because they have the ball late in the game. They're up late in the game, and therefore they have probably a better chance of winning. And I don't know. I, it was fun with the Falcons having like a 99%. That was fun to rag on them that way, and it's co- sort of cool to quantify it. But I feel like I'm kind of tired of seeing, like, this team had this chance of winning, and now they lost. And it's like, okay, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't excite me. And I feel like it's overused. Is, is this just me getting annoyed by it, or do you feel like uh, I'm just I'm, I'm a lonely person on this island here?
1: Um, yeah. My thought on that, that is that they have that probability run throughout the game. And when uh, I don't think it really is useful, like you said, I, I only think in instances of the extreme is it really applicable? Mm -hmm. Because it's like in the third quarter and you're up a score and it says you have a 75% chance of winning. Like, yeah, it's running all the different scenarios, but really we don't know your odds until later in the game anyway. And that's what that number says. It's like, oh, 75% chance you're going to win because you're up by 10 points in the third quarter. Like, okay, cool. But there's so much game left to be played that we really don't know our odds. We don't really know what the odds are going to be because there's still so much game to happen. And I understand it runs through every single scenario and it runs through and it's like, Hey, there is a scenario where this team scores four more touchdowns and wins by six scores. Or there's also the scenario where the other team runs and scores four touchdowns and wins by three scores. Like it, it runs through every single scenario and, and calculates the probability of each of them happening. And then the probability of just which team is going to win. And okay. I think intuition for the most part, if you watch football long enough, you can understand uh a team up by 10 points in the third quarter has a pretty good chance of winning the football game if they're a decent team. So I really think it's, uh, it does get overused a little bit. I haven't noticed it too often myself, but I have seen posts about like the, the Falcons in particular where they did have like a 99% chance of winning. And in that case, I think it can be applicable because you're emphasizing there are so many scenarios where they win this game and they couldn't fit the criteria for any of them. There are so many futures where they win this game. There are so few futures where they lose it and they somehow are able to make that one of those few hand, a handful of, of losing formulas, the one that the game ended up in. But yeah, I I mean, I don't think it's something that should be used on a broadcast or something that should be brought up all the time because it is kind of meaningless in the grand
0: scheme of things. I just don't understand why it's called an next gen stat. I get, I get that like no one really can just like come up with that mathematical probability in their head, but yeah. I, I just want to learn. If they're gonna call something an next gen stat, I want to learn something. I wouldn't be able to just like look at the game and figure out. I want some something yeah. kind of weird. And it, it's just something I've noticed a little bit that I think is a little bit overused at times, but it's cool somewhat. But, anyways. We get to the games, and I wanted to start with with Colts-Packers because I thought it was a deserving game to start with because it obviously was a – I thought it was a very good game. Yeah. And I thought either team honestly could have won at points, Mm -hmm. and both halves felt different, uh, definitely. I mean, the the first half felt really weird to me. I mean, there was like I think two turnovers on each side. Uh, yeah there were a teams. lot of turnovers it just it just felt weird I was like I don't know what's going on right now I mean the Packers aren't that turnover prone all the time and then I was just like I, I don't understand what's happening here but Packers having 28-14 lead made me feel pretty comfortable the offense was cooking until that third quarter the offense was only able to run six plays and that's where it really changed
1: Yeah, you know, the thing about the first half is a lot of people at halftime were saying, oh, the Packers are destroying this Colts defense, blah, 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 blah. I don't know if I would say the Packers destroyed the Colts defense in the first half. Yeah, 28 points is a bad look for any defense, especially for one that's claiming they're the best in the NFL. But a lot of that was Aaron Rodgers doing well and capitalizing off of opportunities Uh, You know, you had two drives that were a good field position from the start because of a missed field goal, or not a missed field goal, a short field goal, and then the Phillip Rivers interception in their own territory. It's kind of hard, especially in that one, for the defense to really do anything because it just got off the field and then your quarterback throws an interception. You're in your own territory and you're up against Aaron Rodgers. Like, what are you going to do? I think that it was a little overblown. and, And then it translated to that in the second half. And that was, I think, the biggest thing in the game was the fact that the Colts defense, first off, was able to get stops when they needed it. And then the Colts offense capitalized off of it in the second half because uh, an interesting stat that was brought up at near the end of the third quarter that Joe Buck brought up and I thought was really interesting is he said the Packers defense averages 53 plays a game because the Packers' offense always dominates time of possession. So the defense typically only faces around 53 snaps, or 58 snaps, I think it was. And the Colts were already at 53 near the end of the third quarter. And I think that's a big detail because they still had to play defense for a lot more of that game, and were getting worn out in the process. And you could see that in the way the Colts were running the ball, the way the Colts were, were getting open receivers on pick plays. And I think, that, I think Frank Reich and the Colts knew that. On top of it, I just got to say, brilliant halftime adjustments by, uh, why am I drawing a blank on our defensive coordinator's name, um, e- uh, Matt Eberflus. Uh, that's now two games in a row that they've played a really good offense, the Titans and then the Packers. And in the second half of those two games combined, they've conceded three points. So that's those are some halftime adjustments happening there, both offensively and defensively, because that doesn't happen if the offense isn't clicking. So. In that regard, I think in the first half, it it was a little weird and clunky, and the Packers' offense was able to get some stuff done. And then the second half, they got some stops. Really, it was only two drives that the Colts stopped the Packers, two straight three and outs, and then the Colts' offense just dominated time of possession, and then they got the fumble on the kickoff, and so it just kept Aaron Rodgers off the field. And I think that that's – I mean, obviously that's huge. And it meant for a very Colt-dominated second half.
0: Yeah, it was like uh, they had those. Obviously, the two, three outs are huge and great by the Colts defense, and I commend them for that. But to me, what was bigger was the Colts having long and sustained drives. Yeah, definitely outs, and also ended up having a a fumble by Darius Shepard. So it was like that whole third quarter was egregious by the the Packers and keeping Aaron Rodgers shots at uh, getting a chance to actually play because it went, I believe, I believe it was two, three and outs. Yeah. Two, three and outs. And then the fumble, which came in the fourth quarter, but that basically the Packers didn't touch the ball till under the ninth or Aaron Rodgers didn't touch the ball and get a decent drive until under nine minutes in the fourth quarter, which is huge. Because,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, they can get things going, but they never really got in rhythm. In the fourth quarter, besides that two-minute drill at the end of fourth yeah. with uh, uh, the NVS chunk play, but mm-hmm. um, I, on a Packers note, I saw a lot of Packers fans being annoyed by Mike Patton, and I get it because prevent defense is is getting annoying. I mean the the middle of the field is I feel like is always open, and it's just we don't have good line good enough linebackers for how he wants to play Uh, middle linebackers. I think, and then Preston Smith hasn't done well this year, but any team can run over us. And that's what you guys did in the second half. You came out there and that's why, that's what scares me about how far the Packers can go, because I think the offense, even though you had three and outs, I think they can get going on pretty much any defense. And the Bucs was a really bad one, but I think they can find a way to eventually get going again even if they have three outs, but if they're not getting to touch the ball a lot. I mean, there, there's nothing you can do.
1: Yeah, exactly. And on that note, I think that another big storyline in this game, and I'm sure we'll talk more about the the ending uh, of the regular of regulation in a second here, but even before the last like three minutes of regulation, I thought penalties were a huge bit in this game. Mm-hmm. There were some backbreaking penalties uh, for the Colts in the first half, and then the Packers in the second half, some, some offsides by Preston Smith, Darius yeah. Smith, guys like that. And, and then on the, sa- the same note for the Colts, and, and with some holding calls throughout the game. Now, we could talk about that last three minutes. That's an entirely different animal. But I thought penalties were a big part of this game, because they happened at some crucial times, and, and were really, really brutal. I mean the pass interference uh, um, at the very end of the first half that put the the Packers into the red zone for another score. I thought that was also that was that was rough. Yeah, and uh, I think that's another thing about this game, and that's something the Packers defense I think in particular should be worried about because you already are struggling to stop the run, and now you're just going to give up free ten yard like ten yard chunks. That's that's concerning.
0: And on the referees, no. And there were, obviously we're going to talk about that, that ending drive by the Colts, but they were, the rest were just involved in the game. They were really involved. And the thing is like the pass interference call, which set up to go up 14 points, which is big. It, I thought it was a pass interference, but I thought it was something that they would have just not called. And that's kind of, that's how I felt about most of the game. I thought there were penalties and I, when we talk about the last regulation, we can get into that. I thought they were penalties, but I thought a lot of times they just let those things slide. It seems like they were calling things that people, refs normally just kind of let happen.
1: Yeah, it wasn't exactly an example of refs making bad calls Mm because there have definitely been games where it's been like that. But it definitely was an example of ref ball happening where they weren't just letting the boys play. You know, you're going to have holding those those are going to happen almost every single play on every Mm -hmm. single drive alignment is going to hold Uh, there's also going to be pass interference on every single passing play and I'm not talking about the Colts or the Packers or any team in particular they just happen and the refs today or yesterday just seemed like they were just wanting to call it every time they saw it and it made the game so choppy and clunky and I mean, it was, it was crazy. And, and I agree with you on that pass interference when they threw the flags, I got really upset. And I mean, naturally that's my, my, my bias coming out. And then I looked at the replay and I thought, uh, yeah, he's got his arm a little bit, which would qualify for pass interference. But man, if that doesn't get called 95% of the time, yeah. Do I still have a right to be upset here, especially when Aaron Rodgers hooked that ball up, and you know he's <laughs> trying to either a he's looking for something there. Yeah, and and so it was definitely frustrating at the end of the half to to concede another touchdown like that because of a pass interference call like that. But you're right, it is by the by the textbook a pass interference, but you know that doesn't get called uh, most times, and, and definitely the refs. That was that's just a great example of how the refs kind of played that game for for most of it
0: and we could jump into the last drive for the colts <sighs> when looking at the replays i don't think i would have been mad that holding wasn't called none of those holdings were that egregious to me where i would have freaked out i'd have been like okay there's holding but they're not called generally mm-hmm. like we were saying they they were just calling basically everything and I was, I was kind of shocked, and it was huge because it was let the Packers come back because they weren't having to use timeouts, and it was – Yeah, it stopped the clock. It was, it was really interesting. I was like, I can't believe they keep on calling these because they, they do. I mean, people tweeted out every year that holdings happen on every single play, and it was like the refs just wanted to call them this game.
1: Yeah, and here are the two perspectives I'm going to go from this. I'm going to go from the ref perspective, and then I'm going to go to from the Colts perspective – ref perspective – You're calling it every single down. How absurd is that? That is so crazy. And you know it's near the end of the game. They're running the ball. And you know they're going to have holdings. And again, replay after replay, each of them were holding calls. There was some grabbing happening. There was Mm -hmm. some player wrapping up. I think the Michael Pittman one like he like he like he like stumbled and wrapped around and then let go I feel like that was the ticky tackiest one of them all even though he did get his arm around him for a moment but then he like spun off because he was like oh shoot I'm holding let me get off of him and I feel like that's just such a ticky tacky call but outside of that you know it was a hand on a shoulder pulling him back there was someone got a handful of the jersey and yes they were holding calls but again like you've been saying and like we've been saying those happen every single down. And I feel like it's crazy to think with three to two minutes left in the game that you're going to call that over and over again. Like at that point in time, typically refs let things happen. They, they get a little more lenient. Obviously, you don't want Roby Coleman murdering a, a Saints receiver on a pass interference call like in the NFC Championship game, but you, you let some of that stuff just play out. Now, from the Colts perspective, after you get the holding called on you two times in a row, Just don't hold. Just let it be a two-yard run. Let the clock run out and give the Packers the ball with a minute left with no timeouts. Don't keep letting this happen. And it happened over and over and over again. There were two different times where it could have been first and 30. And by the third time the the flag icon came up at the bottom, I just kept like lurching back in my seat going, just... Stop, stop, for <laughs> sake, just let the play go. And it was guys like Quentin Nelson, which was shocking to me. And, and then you look back at it, there were five holding calls that were accepted on that final drive in regulation for the Colts. Before that game, the Colts had been called for holding 16 times all season. So that's over half the season that they've been called for holding 16 times. And in one singular drive where you know you're running the ball, every single play to run out the clock, you get called for holding five times. That's nearly 33% of the times you've been called for holding this entire season in one drive. That, we had the ball with three minutes left, and we didn't even run a minute off the clock when we gave it back to you guys. And that includes a fourth and four conversion in there. Like, that is insane. I, I don't know. I, this is a bit of a rant, but I've never seen something like that ever in my life watching football. I've seen teams have a bad drive get killed by a couple of straight, by a couple of straight calls, but I've never seen a drive last that long and have that many holding calls when you're up and trying to just run out the clock. It was otherworldly, and it was a perfect storm because the Colts' offensive line, I guess, are just having a bad spell. And the refs were there calling it every single time and never letting a single one go. And it was just absurd. It was ridiculous to watch. And I,
0: you would not would have been around me when that was happening. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like the NFL can't, I feel like the refs have to be sent a memo or something because that can't happen again from my perspective, because it just, it wasn't a great viewing experience, and I doubt the no. NFL wants a game, especially coming down to playoff pitcher and playoffs. Mm. You don't want refs to be that involved. And yeah. even though they were, they were the correct calls, so I understand if I'm a ref out there, I wouldn't feel bad about those calls in a way. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, hey, we made the right call. This is what we're technically supposed to do. We're supposed to be black and white. Uh, but I think there was some gray area where they could have let them go. Um, mm-hmm but the the fumbles were huge obviously uh scantling fumbled it but at the end of the day it's all right i think the packers can bounce back i think honestly mark i think either of these teams can make their championship games in their respective players. i agree
1: yeah there the packers have an mvp candidate in aaron Rodgers. i don't think that changes with the loss against the colts and uh, you so you obviously, you're going to have a you're gonna have a chance to get to the NFC Championship game. You did it last year, and you've got roughly the same roster, and they're all getting better. And then on the Colts side, you've got a defensive team and a special teams unit that makes plays consistently. And, and that's huge, especially against a, a not turnover-prone Packers team that you, like they got jumbled up on several occasions uh, on Sunday. And, and I want to just talk about this for just a moment. Julian Blackman needs to be in the Defensive Rookie of the Year conversation. I have brought up his name a couple times before. I was a little bit sheepish about it because I knew he played for the Colts. But he also forced that fumble against Valdis Scantling in overtime. And that was with two Packers players in between him and Scantling. And he split the middle and was able to force the fumble. That's like the third game-winning play he's had this season. He also intercepted Joe Burrow earlier in the year. to to seal the game against the Bengals. And he's made some other huge plays throughout the season. He had an interception against Nick Foles on a drive against the Bears. Uh, uh, This kid keeps making plays. And I know he's a safety. And I know that he's not Chase Young. But he's got to be in that conversation because he's been making big play after big play, week after week. and He needs to be in that conversation. And I think uh, some media outlets are probably going to open their eyes to that now. Uh, And on that note, credit to the Packers for their game plan, because although Devontae Adams had some touches, I think the Packers were aware that the Colts were going to try and lock him down. And so it resulted in a lot of MVS and a lot of Tunyon making big plays throughout the game because Devontae Adams was not going to be your guy. He made some big plays. He had a touchdown. He had some catches. But he wasn't getting targeted play after play after play like Aaron Rodgers can tend to do in some weeks. So credit to the Colts defense for what they did, but the Packers really shouldn't hit the panic button as far as a lot of things are concerned. But I mean, the defense is nothing. There's nothing new to be worried about. If you're a Packers fan, the the worries are the same as they were last week and the week before. And that's that defense, especially against the run.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that, like I said, they're both championship worthy. I think the Packers might just have, an easier path because the NFC just feels a little bit, it's a lot more weird yeah. compared. I honestly feel like if, I mean, I wanted the Packers obviously to win this game. I thought they would. And I thought if they maybe dominated somewhat or showed that their offense can really play against a very good defense, I think, you know, I might have put them as the front runner for the Super Bowl but I still really think they could make the Super Bowl just because the NFC is just weird this year. And I, I'm not ready to say, Hey, they're the front runner, but I think like if they won this game and kept their offensive going, I think I'd be like, Hey, Mm -hmm. this, this team is a got a really good shot making the Super Bowl. I still think they do, but I'm not sure they will.
1: Yeah. I mean, here's a big thing. and, And this is worth talking about. This is probably the first time in a long time that I can remember That the AFC is a stronger conference than the NFC because in the AFC, you've got two real Super Bowl teams and the Chiefs and the Steelers. And in the NFC, you've got a couple of front runners that you, and we've talked about this before, that all have some issues that are really concerning. And so there's no real breakout team in the NFC just yet, which means it's still wide open for anybody to take, for anybody, any one of those teams to step up. And, and not exactly completely clean off their, their issues, but put a Band-Aid on it, fill, fill, a, fill a hole real quick with something that's not super sturdy and make that push for the Super Bowl. Packers are one of those teams. The, that, some adjustments, a player stepping up. Uh, you know They're starting to get healthy again with Jair Alexander and other guys coming back on that defense. You could, you could bounce back and step up just a little bit on defense to give the Packers a winning formula in the playoffs. The same could be said for the Seahawks. The same could be said for the Bucks or the Saints. Like you, you've got some teams that – I'll even throw the Cardinals and the Rams into that conversation. You just, If you can bandage up a couple of things, you could very much be the Super Bowl contender in a conference that doesn't have one right now. It's wide open and really exciting to watch. But you're right. The Packers should be one of the Super Bowl talking teams right now in the NFC because for once in the NFC – there isn't a sturdy, dominant team there right now. And it's interesting because I'm so used to that never being the case in that conference.
0: And I think it'll just come down to whoever hits a hot streak, in all honesty, at this Probably. point. Probably. Because we've seen different – like, we've flipped. I feel like every two, three weeks, we're like, this team seems like they're the best right now. They're on a hot streak. They seem like they're really getting going. And I feel like it's just whoever finds the rhythm in January. In day, yeah, and that could in be – a- be it's anywhere.
1: been a really long time since we've had a wild card team run to the Super Bowl. There was, like a, there was a time stretch when I first started getting into football where it seemed like every season we had a wild card team making a Super Bowl push. And that's not been the case for a while. The Titans last year is the closest we've gotten in quite a good stretch of time that a wild card team has looked like a team that could make the Super Bowl because it's been one season, two seeds of the Super Bowl year after year after year this could be the year of the NFC where that might happen because we don't even know how many of these teams that were considering contenders will even win their division yet. I mean, the NFC West is wide open and any of those wildcard teams could make a Super Bowl run. Uh, the NFC South, either the Bucks or the Saints could be the wildcard team and could make a, a Super Bowl run. The Packers are really the only non-wildcard team because they're going to win their division no matter what happens. And, and then you've got the NFC West or the NFC East, which <laughs> it's getting real <laughs> exciting right now, all with yeah. all three wins. But it, it's going to be interesting because I think you're right. Whoever gets the hot streak in the playoffs is going to be the team. It's not necessarily the team we think is the best built right now, but the team that gets into rhythm the, the best come playoff time. And, I mean, if I'm going to come to that, Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson are going to be the guys I'm going to hedge my bets on. Maybe Tom Brady as well in the Bucs.
0: I was gonna save this for later, but since we're talking about wild card teams, I wanted to ask you, Mark, uh, which wild card teams you wouldn't want to play in the playoffs. And we could do each division and just the current ones. So in the NFC, currently the wild cards are Bucks, Rams, and Cardinals. What which one of those do you think you would want to play least?
1: Probably the Bucks the Bucks have the highest ceiling. I think the Buccaneers, the, their defense in particular, they could ruin a game. We watched them with the Packers. They can absolutely ruin a game. Now, my one concern with that is Tom Brady away from home in the cold. Is that going to be a concern for this Buccaneers team? Can they only win in Raymond James Stadium, at least win big in Raymond James Stadium against good teams? I don't know. If I had to pick another team, it would be the Cardinals. Kyler Murray is electric and could take over a game, and he's just such a handful that he can – do damage to a defense and that defense could be really good but it doesn't matter because of just the added layer that dimension that Kyler murray brings would be really tough uh, like darius leonard was interviewed this week but leading up to the packers game and they asked if aaron Rodgers was going to be the biggest test at quarterback yet and darius leonard fly out said lamar jackson's a different cat that's just such a different problem to handle so no i don't think so And I think that's huge because Lamar Jackson's not even in his best form, but just the fact that the defense has to worry about the quarterback running the ball is just such an added layer of difficulty that Kyler Murray brings and Lamar Jackson brings Mm -hmm. that I think I wouldn't want to play the Cardinals in the playoffs either.
0: All right. On the AFC, currently I think it'll change. Well, it might not, but the AFC is crowded in the wild card Mm -hmm. area. It's Titans, Browns, and Raiders.
1: Um, I wouldn't want to play the Titans and I know they're the top seed in that, in that grouping, but Derrick Henry in January, that's tough. That's tough. And you don't want to go up against that. The Browns are inexperienced and the Raiders are, are a competitive team, but they don't have that thing, that playoff thing that makes you scared. Derrick Henry is that playoff thing that the Titans have. And Nick Chubb, might be that for the Browns, but I don't know. I don't trust the Browns in the playoffs because of their
0: inexperience in that regard. A fun stat for the Browns, which they obviously play really, I guess, different than most current modern teams play by passing it. Mm -hmm. Baker Mayfield still has less passing yards than Dak Prescott.
1: Oh, my goodness. It's only six now,
0: so he should pass it next week.
1: Oh, but I mean, that's crazy. It's
0: hilarious that he's played – about, I think it's about double the amount of games, and he uh, has not surpassed Dak Prescott somehow.
1: But Yeah, I mean, that, I think that says something a little bit of both about the schemes that they were in, because Dak Prescott had to throw all over creation every game. And then Baker Mayfield has not had to do that. He can give the ball off to Chubb and Kareem Hunt. So I don't know if that's really a slight to Baker Mayfield. Yeah. It might be a slight to both of them that Dak Prescott had to throw that much with Ozekiel <laughs> running back
0: yeah which is a different conversation completely but we can we can take a break and we've got plenty more games to talk about we'll be so we'll be right back have you ever wondered why everyone and their mother seems like they have a podcast today well it's probably because there's over a million podcasts a day alone and it continues to grow every single day and you've probably wondered how do i start a podcast and you've probably thought it's too expensive I don't have the equipment, it'll be too difficult. I just can't do it. Well, let me tell you, you're wrong. There's a platform called Anchor and it's the simplest way to make a podcast and I did some light background research for you. First off, it's free. There's creations tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and so many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Go make a podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm to get started. And we are back. Chiefs Raiders, Mark. It was a fun Sunday night football game. It felt like Mahomes was going to do Mahomes things, and he did. But before we talk about Mahomes, I feel like as a Raiders fan, you have to feel pretty good about this because it makes that first win not feel like a fluke. It makes it feel like you can win against the Chiefs, and I think they can honestly beat pretty much anyone in the AFC.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the big thing with them is they – they're not very mistake prone and they, they, they play, they have a very high floor of football, I would say. And with the Raiders, I worry about just how high they can go. But I mean, if they compete with the chiefs both times they've played them, then I think your odds are pretty good, especially, you know, I think this game is almost more indicative of the Raiders competitiveness than their win against the chiefs, because you beat the chiefs, right? you, you, you get a leg up on them. In that game, you had some great halftime adjustments that really slowed down Patrick Mahomes, and you were able to run it with Josh Jacobs and carry yourself to victory. This game, Josh Jacobs only had 55 rushing yards. And also in this game, you have to go against a Patrick Mahomes-led Chiefs team that has film from when you made those halftime adjustments last time and shut him down. And so they Andy Reid saw them. Andy Reid's picked them apart, and he's figured out new ways to attack your defense and you are still able to bring it all the way down to the wire. And obviously it's concerning that you let Mahomes drive down with two minutes to go and win you the game. But you also have to understand it's Patrick Mahomes, and that's going to happen. And it happens sometimes. So I am happy if I'm a Raiders fan, even though you'd love to sweep the Chiefs. But you are in a good place as far as your team is concerned. But now you got to deliver week in and week out because the playoff race is tight. It's really tight. I think you are in that race for that final slot and we've already talked about upcoming schedules already, but you've got the Falcons and Jets these next two weeks. Really 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 need to win those games. That would put you at 8 wins, which is a good spot to be in going into your final four game stretch. Then you've got the Colts which at home, so maybe you win that game, but I don't know. I don't know if you could beat the Colts. Then you got the Chargers, big game, Dolphins, huge game at Broncos, which is not a gimme which w- that we learned this week. It, going to mile high is never a gimme win. So it is a tough slate of games. Out of all of them, the Jets is really the only automatic win you've got. So, yeah, there's the moral victory of, oh, we competed really well with the Chiefs, so that's good. But you got to win because the dubs are what are going to get you into the playoffs, not moral victories, not, oh, the team looks good. And I've been very pro Raiders all season. I said they were going to make the playoffs before the season started and so I'm going to be watching them pretty closely because they got to win and they got to win week in and week out because this AFC playoff race is much more competitive than the AFC's wild race has been
0: for a long time and it's not like you're saying the most favorable uh ending schedule for them they have some difficult matchups that it's it's going to come down to the wire and they can't really take weeks off, but I—I I mean, I just think they should—they should feel good that they can hang in there. But they've definitely got a lot of work ahead of them.
1: Mm-hmm. And then
0: on the Chiefs side, I mean, they can—they're still doing Chiefs things. I mean, Mahomes mm-hmm. is still doing Mahomes thing. I just—I notice some people get bored of Mahomes, and I just hope I don't get bored of Patrick Mahomes anytime soon because I get it that. Fatigue might set in eventually about being a like, god, oh, they're good again. He's doing Patrick Mahomes. He's winning again. He makes it look really easy. But I, mm. I just hope that I never take him for granted because the things he does, so many other quarterbacks cannot do.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, have people gotten bored of what Aaron Rodgers does? At times, some people may say they have, but I don't think people really have. And Patrick Mahomes is even an uh, almost a more extreme example of Aaron Rodgers in the way that he just slings the ball just anywhere. I think if you're looking at Patrick Mahomes and how a lot of people hate like the Patriots dynasty, there is a large difference between the Chiefs and the Patriots play style. The Patriots—it's really easy to get bored watching Patriots football because it's such—and and I know people like to say it's dink and dunk, but it, it's such. Uh, drawn up plays that get you ten yards, that get you ten yards, that get you ten yards, ten yards, ten yards, and then you know eventually it's ten yards into the end zone, touchdown. And that can be really boring to watch because it just makes any defense look look like they just can't do anything. And it it just it's methodical, it's repetitive, but it it's all about abusing things, you know, abusing the way football works, abusing the way players think. Whereas the Chiefs is all about that dynamic play. It's all about their receivers beating their corners. It's all about Mahomes shaking the pocket and slinging it down the field to a wide-open player and getting a bunch of yards. And that's entertaining. That's a lot of fun to watch, and it it, it makes for a a cool brand of football. I don't think people are going to get as bored as fast as Patrick Mahomes as long as they keep winning. I think it's going to still stay interesting because everyone wants a crack at them and wants to beat them. I don't want to play them in the playoffs, but if I'm in the playoffs and we're up against the chiefs, it, the time has come. It's like, all right, let's see if we are ready to beat the monster because Patrick Holmes makes the chiefs able to beat anybody in the NFL any given week. So it's turned around to, is my team capable of beating the chiefs? And will this be the week that is this our week? And Can we knock them down? Because it, they're just that good. And, that's kind of a dynasty level team because that's how people viewed the Patriots. It was, it was less about, is our team better than the Patriots and more about, can we beat the Patriots this week? And uh, I think the main difference though, is that presentation. It's such exciting football. And I don't know, people are going to get bored of success, but I don't know if you can get bored of Patrick
0: Mahomes brand offense. I agree. I just think maybe, maybe you'll lose some MVPs is what I'm scared of. in a way. Because I think this year I think Mahomes is starting to lead the way for MVP, and I think that depending on how the narrative holds on for Russell Wilson, he can still snag it and just be kind of okay because people just want Russell Wilson to win an MVP, Mm -hmm. which will be interesting, and I get it. He probably maybe deserves an MVP and will have a lot more football left. But on... I guess making football look easy. Do you think Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers makes football look easier? I think Patrick
1: Mahomes makes it look easier. The way he he runs around the the way he runs. I think it's how he scrambles. He just looks like he's just kind of strolling almost. It's crazy. <laughs> and then the way he just nonchalantly slings the ball down the field is insane. Aaron Rodgers whenever he makes an incredible throw I think sometimes I still go, oh, that's an incredible throw. He just zipped it right in there. That cannot that could not have been an easy throw to make. Where there's sometimes Patrick Mahomes, he rolls out of the pocket and he's just like, yeah. And he just kind of tosses it and then it sails 60 yards down the field into a wide-open Tyree Kill's hands. And you think, What are you supposed to do about that? It just he makes it look so effortless. And I think that. I think that's why I, I lean towards Patrick Mahomes, but obviously Aaron Rodgers slings and zips that ball over and over repeatedly
0: throughout games that it, it does make it look like it's easy as well. I agree with you. I think Patrick Mahomes, just like you explained, how he just kind of makes throws look very simple, very normal. And another quarterback that I think kind of possibly reminded people this weekend was that Texans Patriots game Deshaun Watson, hopefully reminded people, Hey, I'm a, I'm a really good quarterback yeah but he doesn't make football look as easy I think that's more about the pieces around him
1: yeah <laughs> he
0: doesn't it's not he can't make it look easy even though his plays are phenomenal it, it looks like it takes work for him to be able to get things done which it which it does with the offensive mm-hmm. line he's dealing with
1: but, yeah well I mean the big the greatest Deshaun Watson plays in his history at this point have been him somehow avoiding a sack and then like hucking it down the field of someone and putting it right in place. It, it looks incredibly difficult. I mean, let's take his his run in the playoffs last year against the Bills where he got creamed on both sides and he somehow stayed standing and then he ran down the field or he, like, tossed it off for a 15-yard gain that got them into the game-winning field goal range. Like, that's that's Deshaun Watson brand. It's not effortless, but it's it's the complete opposite. It's 100% effort not giving up on a play, making something happen when everything's falling down. I don't think he needs to make it look effortless as long as he's winning games.
0: Mm -hmm. But speaking of just quarterbacks and a quarterback that got hit a lot this year was Joe Burrow and he's out for the year. I believe the notification I just got was ACL and MCL and with uh, other structural issues in his knee. So, a bunch of stuff basically but coming into Sunday Brewer had been sacked 32 times third most in the NFL he'd taken 72 hits in his first nine games which is tied for the most by a rookie in their first nine games since 2000 the other was Daniel Jones and it's just it sucks because he made Bengals fans actually enjoy watching football on Sunday which they haven't been able to really enjoy watching football for a while but it just speaks to that they're going to need to draft an offensive lineman. They're going to need to get him protection and free agency or, or the draft. Probably both. Well, they
1: can cross their fingers. And at least here's the bright spot. And obviously, there's not a lot of good to come from this. Because obviously, you want Joe Burrow to play. And you want him to develop as a quarterback. Because you, you see the promise in him. But bright side, you're probably not going to win in maybe any more games at all this season. Which means you're going to be like a top five pick. And that means you might be able to land that Oregon lineman that everyone's raving about. I can't remember what his name is off the top of my head, but you, you could be in the, you could be in the conversation for that and you need that. And people are, the people love this guy. I, I drawing a blank on what his name is right now. I'm not a college football guy, so I'm not going to pretend to be, but all I know is that they do need line help. And I think that's step one because giving Joe Burrow protection means you're going to win football games because when you have a quarterback of that level, You win football games. It just happens. No matter how depleted your roster is in any other place, no matter how bad your receivers are, a quarterback with that kind of ability, allowing him to make plays is so huge. And you're going to – I mean, I'll take Andrew Luck, for example. Andrew Luck just won the Colts football games, games that they should not have won. And it was solely because he had the capability to do so. Let Joe Burrow have that ability. Uh, let him come back strong and don't make this a thing please do not make this a thing that he gets gets hurt year after year learn a lesson from indianapolis if we're going to be quite honest don't ruin a quarterback who is your future and just start from there
0: i i mean hopefully he comes back strong and i know there's quarterbacks that come back from acl mcl tears a reasonable amount of times. It's just the the need of getting protection, and like you're saying, the bright spot is that they can, you know, get a better draft position. More than likely, I assume they'll lose the rest of their games. I haven't looked at their schedule, but I wasn't I don't think going they're to gonna beat anybody. So, Ravens Titans though. And before we went into this game, I asked Manny on First and Moose Live that who should be more panicked or not necessarily panicked but worried. It was the Ravens and Titans. He answered Titans and I and I believed that the Titans should be more worried at this point, but they ended up coming out with the victory here. But should either of these teams worried be worried or more specifically should the Ravens be kind of worried or hitting like a not a panic button but should they be kind of freaking out and be like wow, we're at, we're currently not even sitting in the playoffs right now.
1: Yeah, Going into this game, and I'm not going to try to sound like some smart aleck, but I probably would have answered the Ravens on Sunday. And and my thought about that is expectation versus reality. The Titans, yes, they could be better than what their record stands. But going into the year, this is about where I would have thought the Titans would be. Seven and three is a good spot and they're, they're they're competing for their division they're solidly in the wild card spot this is about what i expect this titans team to be the ravens on the other hand they were supposed to be the kings of the afc this season they were supposed their roster was coming back almost in its entirety lamar jackson was an mvp their running game was seemingly unstoppable their defense was really good and then they've been adding more pieces as the season has gone on yannick and uh, you had Calais Campbell at the beginning of the year. Like this is a team that has loaded with players and you're six and four, or even before this game, you were six and three. I feel like there is a lot more of a space between your expectation and the Ravens reality than with the Titans. And I think that means you have more concern. I, and, and now it's just extrapolated with what happened in, on Sunday, losing to the Titans at home again, like you did in January. It's just such a – there's no answer to it as well. I don't know what are the Ravens supposed to do, What what is going on, and what can be fixed right now so then you can make a Super Bowl run this year because that was the expectation going into the year was Ravens to the Super Bowl. Lamar Jackson is not playing at the same level he was playing at last year. You're not controlling games like he did last year, and it's showing – that you can't compete in a lot of games where you're not in control. The Colts is like the one example where you came back and you took over the game and did what you had to do. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm concerned for the Ravens because like you said, they're currently not even in the playoffs. I don't think that's going to stay the same, but wow. Like uh, like you're competing with the Raiders right now and the Browns right now to make it into the playoffs. And that, that Ravens-Browns game coming up is actually a huge one, and I don't know if they're going to win anymore because you don't have that false confidence going into week one that you're one of the best teams in the NFL anymore. You've been beaten. You've been humbled a couple times, and this Browns team has adopted their, their gritty behavior. They've now played in, like, four straight rain games and have, uh, understand that, oh, we're going to play ugly football, that's just going to be how it is. I don't know if the Ravens are ready to accept what they are yet, and I think they're in denial and they need to fix some things. They're not that same polished team they were last year.
0: What's helpful for the Ravens is their ending schedule. I mean, they've got the Steelers this week, which could very well end up in a loss, but then you've only really got the Browns that I think is a struggle because you've got two NFC East teams and the Cowboys and Giants, then you got the Jaguars and Bengals. So I think they're going to find their way into the playoffs, even if they lose to the Browns and Steelers, which I think they – maybe they'll split split. They'll go one and one in those two games, but I think they'll find themselves in the playoffs just because their schedule is favorable for them. But I, I think I'll still be worried and I'm not sure I'll be picking them to win a playoff game when it comes around, unless something changes. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And then on Derrick Henry, there's tons of stats about how his second half is completely different than his first half. I mean, uh since twenty seventeen he has basically twenty six hundred second half rushing and twenty eight touchdowns and the next person's Todd Gurley at like two thousand yards and twenty four touchdowns and in the first half he's way behind on touchdowns and yards and then I think this year he has seven point one yards per carry in the fourth quarter in overtime so wow. he just and then in the first half he has four yards per carry basically and then five and a half yards per carry in the second half so it, he just like flips the script and it's so weird that he's like their go to player when they're down in games sometimes. Yeah. Which Isn't is nuts to think about that. He's their go to guy, which I, I love that a running back is their go to guy when you're down in games. But
1: yeah, how many people are passing in the fourth quarter? Just about everybody. <laughs> yeah. How many people are going to their run game when they need big plays? <laughs> the Titans that's about it maybe the Vikings the Vikings and the Titans are probably the two teams in the NFL that are thinking oh man we need a big play better run the ball and like <laughs> it just it, that's not how it goes in the modern day so kudos to Derrick Henry he's had uh, quite the season and he, he's making me uh, doubt He's making me eat my words, more like uh, on my opinion of him, which is that he's just a streaky running back because he's just doing it week after week. And we're really starting to see his brand of
0: football really become a staple in the NFL. Saints, Falcons, Sean Payton gets that last laugh with that retweet. Everyone was talking about it. It was funny. I thought that was funny that I guess he was holding on to that. I don't know if he bookmarked it or whatever, but – I mean, the, the big thing is Taysom Hill. And he is the ninth quarterback to get his first official NFL start after the age of 30. And there, <laughs> there really weren't any notable names. The really only one that was notable was Doug Peterson. Other than that, there were just <laughs> a bunch of no names. And, I mean, he did pretty well, in all honesty. And I think Sean Payton might have had some fun I feel like this was a new challenge for him in a way to find a scheme in a way. I mean, you've got a QB that can scramble and throw downfield basically which drew Brees has become less able to do over his past couple of years because he's old. I mean, what can you expect? So I thought Sean Payton might've actually had fun yesterday thinking, Hey, this is something different that I have that I haven't been able to do in the past five ish years.
1: You know, Last week, we talked about how we were ready for a wild ride with Jameis Winston as their starting quarterback. I almost think that I was was confused when they switched it to Taysom Hill because I thought Jameis Winston would have been their better option. But what Sean Payton decided to do was instead of gambling and going for the craziness of Jameis Winston, they decided instead to try to replicate what they did last year with Teddy Bridgewater and just play inoffensive football where Taysom Hill could just throw it around a little bit. He, 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 he could take a quarterback option, run it himself, and just don't make any mistakes. And you let your defense and your special teams make plays from there. And, I mean, it worked. They held the Falcons to nine points. The Saints scored 24. And, and although Taysom Hill didn't do anything crazy, he got the job done. He was able to move the ball down the field and, and, and score some points. And I imagine that's what the Saints are going to want to do for the rest of this little stretch here without Drew Brees is just play inoffensive offense football because you know you've got the roster to win games. It just hasn't shown up while Drew Brees has been under center, which I can't tell you why. But uh, they're able to pull this off with Teddy Bridgewater last year, and I think they're proving they're able to pull this off with Taysom Hill this year, just play inoffensive offense and and get the job done on the other sides of the ball.
0: And I get it was against the Falcons, not the best defense out there. But I think you have to feel good about it that you're able to get things going. And I think they'll be able to, to do well without Drew Brees. Who knows how long they'll be out. I mean, I know if my ribs were broken and fractured, I would I'd be out for a very long time. Yeah. Which is insane to think that. People are like, well, I guess he'll miss, you know, two, three weeks or something, and be back, which is nuts because I, I me personally, I, I'd be done for very. I would not be moving, <laughs> more or less That's why not football. In the football. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's why you're not in the NFL. But yeah. I mean, he has like eight ribs fractured, if I remember correctly, something along those lines. Crazy, but uh, I think a win yesterday lets you sit easy, but not too easy because you don't want to drop too many games. Because right now you're in the driver's seat for that buy. And, again, like we've emphasized on a couple episodes past, that buy is huge. So you better send for it. Go for it. And so this shouldn't just be Taysom Hill, cruise and, and get into the playoffs. You want to try and push for that buy if you have the opportunity to.
0: And moving towards a quarterback that got benched into a – which turned out not to be injury-related whatsoever, which is pretty interesting to me. I did not expect it to just be a benching due to performance. What, what were your thoughts about that, Mark?
1: I do not understand that at all. I feel like that's, that's brutal. He didn't throw an interception. He, Yeah, they weren't super productive, but then Brian Fitzpatrick wasn't all too productive after that. They still win the game, and he threw an interception. I just don't understand how you you let that happen. I, I would need to know more about behind the scenes because at this point, I just feel like that's just going to destroy his confidence. And he's been pretty confident up to this point. Unless you, you think he needs to put him down a peg, I don't see why you bench to attack of Iloa. You're at Mile High Stadium against the Broncos. That's a tough place to play. That's tough. And I don't – I just think that that's going to – that could really hurt Tua's development this season. And I know that you're in the playoff race and you want to pick the guy that's going to win you the most games, but that's a crowded AFC. And really the, the message at the beginning of the season, I, I think he's got to be to build Tua up and build this team. They're a good team. They're, they're going to be a playoff team in years to come. Um, but, geez, like that's I, – I just don't understand that pick. But I would like to bring up this. Tua's from Hawaii. He played in the SEC, and now he plays for Miami. Uh, I wonder if there's going to be a growing narrative that Tua can't play in the cold weather because I don't think he's really had to up to this point in his career. And that was a thought I had earlier today. I'm not going to be the one to push that narrative, but don't be surprised if that's something that becomes a
0: talking point this season and years to come. That will be interesting. I I could definitely see that happening. We'll have to see how he fares in – climates like that continuing and I I it shocked me I was I was I mean I did not think that's the way Flores would do it I mean he said Tua is still a starter which I I don't think he was doing that bad and I get Tua really hasn't like Knocked anyone's shoes off thus far this season. He hasn't done anything super spectacular. His best game was against the Cardinals, and his numbers weren't like, oh my goodness, Tua is the Dolphin savior. He's kind of played more on the lines of like a game manager in a way. He's just winning the games at this point in time. But I don't, I don't think he was playing that bad where they they needed to bench him.
1: Yeah, and he's a rookie. Like like he's got to have bad games, and in Mile High, like that's a tough environment to play in. I don't understand.
0: Yeah, you you have to expect some lows with rookies, and you got to ride ride out with ride with them. But I guess he didn't he didn't want to. Okay, we've only got a little bit left, but we can we can talk about it. The NFC East three way tie for second place, and I I still don't know. I I thought we I thought I knew that the Eagles were gonna come out on top, but we're we're here again where yeah. I I don't. Have any clue who can win this division?
1: Um, I don't know if the question is who can win this division. It's who's <laughs> going to lose this division because I don't think any of these teams through effort of their own are going to win this, except if we are talking about week 17, two teams are playing each other and the winner goes to the playoffs. That's really the only scenario because you look at it and I feel like you got to go from the positive side. The, the football team, have the best defense out of them. The Cowboys have the best offensive pieces, and Andy Dalton might start is maybe starting to figure some things out. Um, the Giants, probably overall, like, well-rounded team. They've got some pieces on defense. They've got some pieces on offense. Daniel Jones can make some plays. And then you got the Eagles. You have Carson Wentz and, and Miles Sanders, who may be the best offensive piece individually in in the division. I don't know. I I don't know who to hedge my bets on because it's gonna be a race to the bottom and it's gonna be fun to see a team compete for a playoff spot one week and then turn around and think, oh we got a top ten draft pick the very next week. So <laughs> I Oh, vey. It's going to be fun to watch because they now all have three wins. And so this final month of football is going to be pretty cool to watch to see who actually pulls through.
0: And it's going gonna, it's gonna to make that five seed in the wild card very valuable. <laughs> very valuable. And I, I just can't believe that we're still here. That we're, I thought we would have had a team pull away at this point.
1: Yeah. I really thought someone would have gotten it together at this point in time. Uh, I thought by Thanksgiving, we, at least one of those teams would come up and, <laughs> and would look the part and none of them have, none of them have. If, if I had to pick a team, and I'll ask you the same thing, Connor, uh, if I had to pick a team, I'd like to see in the playoffs, I think it'd be really awesome to see Alex Smith and the football team in the playoffs. But out of those four, who would you love to see in that spot?
0: I, Mm. I guess getting a
1: home playoff game.
0: <laughs> which which is big. Oh man. I guess Alex Smith would be I would feel good about it, even though yeah. I don't know how good he would feel about it in a way. <laughs> that this is the way it happened, but I think it would be be exciting. The team that yeah. I think has a chance at it though is the Cowboys. And that's mainly, mainly because they had the most NFC East teams left. Mm-hmm. On their schedule. So,
1: doesn't yeah, mean too much. I don't know. <laughs> it
0: doesn't mean a lot, but who knows what's going to happen? It'll be, it'll definitely be exciting to watch. Yeah. But that's, that's going to do it for today's week 11 reaction for First and Moose. Whether you're listening on the air uh, at 10 a.m. on U92 the Moose, thank you for listening or on any podcast platform. Thank you for listening.